Welcome back to another edition of Tome to the Weather Machine podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Hall, and for this episode, I sit down with Haley Four, otherwise known as Circuit Day U. Um, she played a really fantastic set in Cincinnati last month, and we really didn't get a chance. It was pretty late after the show to do a podcast, so she ended up calling me few days later from Chicago after her tour uh, via Skype. So this is our very first ever Skype podcast. I think it went really well. Um, the quality is, you know, whatever. It's what you'd expect here on the Tome um, the podcast, which is uh, middling, but still passable. So that's what we're shooting for. So anyway, uh, it's a great interview. We, we uh, kind of in typical tone fashion, talk a little bit about origin stories, uh, talk a little bit about the shags. Um, I do a Crash Test Dummies impersonation, which I actually cut, but you may find a little Easter egg there at the end of the podcast if you listen to the whole thing. You may get a wonderful rendition of me doing a Crash Test Dummies impersonation. Um, yeah, Haley's fantastic um her new album is uh insanely good uh, i would definitely recommend uh picking it up it came out on thrill jockey and uh her live set if if you are lucky enough to live in a city where she's touring is insane i saw her with uh ryan jewel so it was a two-piece but we're on the street as she is touring with a full band and i think if you listen to the new record it, it really lends itself well to a full rock band setup so yeah, um, it, conversation's uh, great. She's uh, she's uh, really fun to talk to, um, and it, I, I had a good time. Um, this is probably the most, maybe the most high profile, um, at least in my mind, uh, person we've had on the tome. So it was it was fun to um, sit down and chat. Anyway, hope you enjoy the podcast. Bye.
And so I, I guess we're starting now. <laughs> um, it's working. Sure. So you grew up in Indiana. Um, what age did you start playing music? Um, well, I've been involved in music pretty much since kindergarten, um, and that's just through the public school system, but I didn't actually start writing music until I was uh, about 18 years old. Got it. And so you didn't start writing, did you play in any bands? Like, uh, is that when you started writing music, or did, was it more of like a personal thing? Yeah, I was in this punk band in high school called Cro-Magnon. Was, Wait, Cro, Cro, um, how do you, what was, what was the name? Cro-Magnon, C-R-O-M-A-G-N-O-N. So like, like the Cro-Mags, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Cro-Magnum. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, um, that's kind of how I fell into ESP disc because I had never heard of the Cro-Mags or Cro-Magnon, the other psych band. Um, <laughs> Got it. Yeah. People were like, "Oh, you like this band?" And I'm like, "What?" Did did you did you guys sound like the Cro-Mags at all? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't know. It was punk. It was I played electric guitar, and then my friend like would like scream poetry while she sang while she like played the drums. So it was kind of like the Shack. Was it like the shags and that you guys uh, had a very idiosyncratic way of approaching your instruments or slash not totally. really knowing how to play your instruments? Yeah, we I didn't know how to play the guitar and she didn't know how to play drums. So she was like hitting a kick drum with like, a, yeah, it was like a twig on her bed. And I was like learning how to play the guitar by way of just like, I don't know, whatever sounded interesting to me. So it was really primitive. <laughs> So what was the intention behind this uh, approach to music? Um, I, I know that a lot of people, when they, uh, when they start bands in high school, it's, it's kind of an attempt to, uh, I don't know, more or less rip off something that you've heard before, but it sounds like this was much more of an exploratory approach to creating music. What, what was behind that? Well, um, we met, both of our boyfriends were in this band together, and so we kind of met at like their practice, Space, and we just got pretty bored having to listen to them play music all the time and we were like we can do this why don't we just do this so we borrowed some instruments and um yeah i think her inspiration was much more literature based like she had like a photo of joe Didion taped to her <laughs> wall and you know like it's kind of cute and i mean we were into like weird music like we were listening to glenn bronca and like early sonic youth and punk music at the time so what year? It was more just like trying stuff out. Yeah, what year was this? Two thousand and seven. Two thousand and seven. Okay, it was when you uh, started this band when you're eighteen. Yeah. That that man that always blows me away that people were into stuff like Glenn Branca and you know early Sonic Youth and and stuff like that. It it's such to me such a young age. You know, I I think when I was eighteen. Um, which would have been like 2003, uh, none of that stuff like would was even a register. I guess I did. I bought Daydream Nation my senior year of high school, um, but even that, th some of the noisier parts were were a bit difficult for me. Even though that 
album's pretty accessible by a lot of Sonic Youth standards. Um, how did you yeah. discover this stuff, especially being in like the, you know, I don't know, where, being in Indiana, you know? I mean, it just takes one person, you know, it's kind of the way your life sort of ebbs and flows. It's pure chance just meeting, I don't know, our, we were hanging out with like lame dudes who were like an alternative school and um, they used to skate and, that's, you know, skate videos is a way to find out about music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. School. Um, and yeah, basically like meeting an older person who was like, oh, you guys should listen to this record. And, you know, like that Brian, you know, compilation, No New York. Yeah. Um, was huge to us. They were like, yeah, you should listen to this record. And it's got like six bands on it, all of which are great. And, you know, you pick up that scene and you're like, well, what else is going on? And that's how you learn about Sonic Youth and Glen Bronco and that's that, that's really cool. There seems to be a pretty common thread across everybody who I've interviewed that there is some sort of pivotal like older brother figure, or, you know, maybe not an older brother figure, but like an older friend or something who's like into weird music. And uh, at first, maybe you approach it approach it kind of cautiously, like it, at least for me, like I I had friends brothers who you know would wear like skinny puppy t shirts and stuff like that. And I'd always be like, oh, that's like, you know, like that's kind of dark and cool and forbidden. And then, you know, I'd, I'd kind of like listen to that. And it would be sort of like this uh, process of like uh, acculturating myself or uh, building up tolerance, you know, like, OK, OK, I can handle that. Like what's you know, what's next, you know, down down the rabbit hole. So, yeah, it's interesting. I've, I did the I did the same interview with. Uh, with John Lorenz and John Rich well, uh, from, from Public Housing. And, yeah, th both mm -hmm. of them kind of approached it the same way, yeah. Uh, some some person, you know, older than them, pro you know, turned them on to something, and then they just, like, you know, I think uh, a lot of us have this personality where music is this, uh, s like, constant source of stimulation, and, like, we crave novelty, and so we just, like, Okay, that's cool. It's weir what's weirder, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> how can I? We're like, how how deep can this take me? Um, well, that's awesome. Even, yeah, being at an age where you're like you're pretty easily influenced, whether or not you realize it or not, in your teenage years. So, um, yeah, it's kind of being lucky, like having someone around you throwing interesting things your way when you're just so open to the world, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I I, I wonder if. I think some people never lose that. Like, I hope I never lose that. Like, that I'm, like, I'm, even at 30, I don't feel like I've, my musical tastes have, like, totally been uh, pinned down and, or that I'm, I'm, I'm not always constantly searching for, for something new. Uh, I, I, I hope that there's some personality types that never grow out of that or, or something sure. like that. And maybe it's a, kind of, maybe like an epistemolog, an epistemological way to, like, look at the world. You know, some people look at the world and, you know, have it pretty figured out. Those are, I think, the type of people who are uh, maybe really into literal religion or uh, some sort of, or into, like, politics, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And then maybe there's some, some people who, who approach just, like, not only music, but just a way of looking at the world where it's wide open and, and uh, nothing's quite set in stone and possibilities are endless, so... I don't know. Um, yeah. 
So, 18, uh, so you, you were in some sort of weird pseudo-shag band. Uh, <laughs> what, 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 happened, uh, what happened after that? Um, I don't know, just the weird, like, weird college, like, stuff. <laughs> um, Where'd you go to college? Uh, well, so I went to college at Purdue University for two years for nuclear engineering. Oh, wow. And I dropped out. Okay. <laughs> and I, like, moved back in with my parents after some, like, personal problems. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, it, my, I mean, my family and I call it my lost year, um, mm-hmm. just because we're all so removed from it now, but I basically just needed, uh, I don't know, I just stopped functioning, kind of, and like a, for, you know, in any sort of way, um, and my parents are great, they're really supportive, so they like, you know, took the initiative to get me to like a counselor on, 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 on medication and stuff, and, um, I don't know. I wasn't very open to any of it. And, um, I bought a four track with some money I'd left over from graduation that I had stashed away. And that's kind of how my solo output started. It was just kind of like the only thing I could really felt like doing. And it's pretty crude stuff. Um, my early record was took it to you. The first one was like from that time period. Um, it's called Sinstone, and it's like an edition of 100. But, uh, yeah, so it was kind of a slow steep start that way, and then now it's all I do like, every day. Interesting. So it sounds like really your first foray into solo music was maybe out of necessity um, or as Absolutely. out of an, uh, a need to have some sort of outlet. Um maybe for mental health sake is that does that sound accurate yeah and i think like words aren't my first medium of expression so the music is like what was my way to get through something you know and was that recording um you said words weren't your first medium um is it primarily instrumental or or are, are there lyrics on there did you have to kind of break through that to to pen some lyrics for that um, it's very, very experimental. There's a lot of vocals because, I mean, I, I did take voice lessons since I was about 12 years old. Um, and so that's kind of the only instrument I knew, but it's really dense and it's mm. very lo-fi. There are a few lyrics, but the ones that do have lyrics are pretty indiscernible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's, that's really interesting. I mean, it's interesting from, from my standpoint, um, I, I, I work in, in the mental health field um, as a part-time therapist and as a case manager. Um, you know that that age is so common for for those things to happen, um, and it's it sounded like just from that really brief description that music was. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you know well you responded to like you know counseling and and medication, but it sounded like that was like. Was that the thing that sort of like uh, maybe helped you manage those symptoms? Uh, you know, was um, co- constantly re- like was recording and yeah, and yeah. I mean, like growing up, it's like you. It's hard to figure out balance yourself. Everyone's different, but recording definitely just like kind of put me in a place where I was like, well, this is something I can do and feels good about it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And even if I wasn't expressing, I wasn't really expressing it to anyone else, but it was just like more like getting something out of me. It, it like, must, you know, for, yeah. For it must be interesting looking back as sort of like a document of that time. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll never reissue those records. Right. But <laughs> do you do you ever yeah, go back and listen they're, to they're them? Helpful. Sorry, do you ever go back and listen to them? Never. Yeah, <laughs> I'd imagine that would, that'd be something that you kind of want to kind of close the close the vault on, and you know, g glad that you know that was there, but maybe not want to revisit that. Um, yeah, they're really intimate. Right. Um, Right, um, and so that that was your first, I guess, foray into like making uh, really personal music, and I, I I get the sense, and we'll kind of get into your you know later output here in a minute, but your your music has always felt very personal to me, you know, even when it's even when it's like really well produced, you know, which definitely your last you know two records especially have been, you know, wonderfully. Uh, you know, produced and, and rich and intentional, they still do. So some of your you know vocal idiosyncrasies, like sound like very like, like you're right up against the microphone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like right in your ear. So that's that's really cool. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, uh, and so after after that, um, after sort of I guess you call it your lost year. Um, what? What happened after that? Um, I just like had to get out of my environment. I moved to Bloomington, Indiana, mm -hmm. and I went to school for two years. Where, where it was at? Like a four-year program in two years. Where it was um? Where was that? Indiana University. Okay, that's right. I was in the School of Music. I did ethnomusicology and recording arts. Wow, ethnomusicology. And, yeah, it was great. That's um, awesome. It, I mean, yeah, I still have mixed feelings about going to college, um, just because I'm in, like, a crazy amount of debt now. <laughs> Same. Um, Same. <laughs> but I learned a lot, and, um, and also, I mean, it was really selective. They picked 10 people a year. Wow. Uh, for the program I was admitted to, and at that time in my life, I just felt like it was just a boost of confidence that I really needed. For sure. Um. And I mean, it's whatever. It, it, I, I feel like maybe I should have been able to like find that confidence in some other way that didn't cost like forty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> hey, but, but sometimes external like external external like recognition is like some of the best stuff you could ever get. You know, that's why I like uh like praise and, and and stuff like that can have such a huge like ego boost and not in a bad way yeah. not in like a bad ego boost but like in like a really good needing to connect to other people you go away so well that yeah. I, I know i know iu has like a really good folklore program um I, i've had a couple of friends um get get their phds in folklore there um, tell me about the ethnomusicology program what was your did you have a focus um yeah, I focused on African American religious music. Whoa, um, cool! Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, it's they, they have a great folklore program too. It's like world renowned. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I I love ethnographic records. I think they're really interesting, and um, you know, it's like for me, it's like kind of like the craziest 
form of experimental music. <laughs> yeah. And it's so, like, I'm so defaulted to westernized scales and stuff. But, um, yeah, it's beautiful to, like, get to know another side of humanity through their choice of instruments. And, you know, uh, it's all, a lot of it's ritual-based, too. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty intimate well, stuff. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. You know, most of um, you know most traditional music, you know, is you know it's it's popular music is really kind of a, a only a pretty modern invention. Um, you know, most of it, mo- most music that's existed through the ages does have some sort of ritualistic or I don't know, sort of I don't know totem esque like quality to it, where it where it's expected to do something you know, for, for yeah. the, for the listener and for the performer. And, you know, in most of those things, the, the, the line between the two are, you know, blurred. Um, so did you, so you studied like spirituals, like, you know, up through contemporary gospel music or how, how did, how did that work? Did you focus in on like yeah. a specific, specific time frame? No, pretty much everything. Um, you know, uh, pre-slavery, slavery, into slavery, post-civil rights, um, yeah, gospel music, R&B, everything. Cool. Um, yeah, it's interesting to follow the lineage of, like, something like a hand-clapping, uh, like, beat mm-hmm. that was from, like, a hidden spiritual that slaves would do down south and how that's still represented in, like, modern-day R&B music today. For sure. Uh, you know, and just like, I don't know, uh, a lot of cultures today are, they reappropriated and, and everything, uh, just the way the world is with the internet. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting and beautiful to see, like, listen to music that's so intact and so representative of a specific culture. Uh, Definitely. Vibrant, beautiful, you know. Do you ever appropriate any of that in, um, in your songwriting or in your recording? Sure. Um, I mean, my last album, I did use an ethnographic sample. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just the mindset of, I don't know, trying to break through some walls of like, when I'm writing, then you fall into like a major scale and everything's 4-4. And I just think by listening to music that is so far um what my default is, it like helps me break through my own um, compositional tendencies. Yeah, it, it must be like uh, pretty freeing because you're not like, uh, tr- you know, like oh, this is I'm trying to sound too much like this or something like that or you know, yeah, it must be pretty pretty liberating. That's, um, yeah. And so, so you you move you you're in Bloomington. You you graduated from that program, I assume. I do. Mm-hmm, and then, and um, were you playing music while in Bloomington? Yeah, I was playing a circus did you, and I was also in this other band called The Open Sex. Yeah, let's talk about The Open Sex. I've heard, I've heard like amazing stories from people here in Cincinnati.
Um, so, yeah. so tell me about the open sex. What was the intention behind that? What was, can you maybe describe the music a little bit? Um, well, I was invited in by John Dawson, who was kind of the head, uh, the leader <laughs> of the band. Um, and he was looking to expand his band, kind of kraut rock. We are sets would generally be between one and three songs. Um, over an hour. And my job, <laughs> my, my job was to play the E chord. Okay. <laughs> so, just, I used to play the E chord the whole time. Would you Would you ever uh, just fall into like a trance or like a <laughs> fall yeah, asleep? There were, yeah, I definitely did fall into a trance a few times. Um, there is a woman named Dawn uh, who also played guitar, and she kind of had these. I don't know. She had some powers, man. I don't. I don't know what her. <laughs> religious or spiritual background is she definitely had some powers and there were a few i was young and um yeah we did play a pagan festival once which was interesting Whoa. It, was, it was me kind of being open and um kind of jumping down this rabbit hole of like well yeah let's go do a pagan festival in southern indiana and sure that's like you know. and it was great it was, i mean it was just very community-based and john runs a record label in a studio out of his house called Magnetic South. Okay. So we, we would practice there after, or go there after class and hang out all night and record. And, uh, it was very communal and like kind of beautiful. And they really, I, I mean, that's kind of where I learned how to record too. I mean, I knew how to record through schooling, but as a vocalist, like recording in front of a microphone, it's really uncomfortable. So John and Seth kind of gave me the opportunity to like uh, get my bearings. Um, because I mean, now if I do record in the studio, it's like you're on the books and it's expensive and it's really stressful to like be able to just like focus on the music but in the back of your mind. You're like, this costs me five hundred dollars a day. Like, I'm right. I'm running out of time. Um, so those formative sessions were really important for me. Cool, and it sounds like you, you toured with that band? Yeah, we did a few tours. It, there was like eight of us. Yeah. So <laughs> it was always crazy when you go on tour, and everyone wanted to bring their girlfriend or boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. So we were always rolling so deep that we, <laughs> I think we did about two, maybe three tours. Nice. And you, and you played Cincinnati? We did. We actually played with the, we played Queen's first show. You know what I mean? You, who? Oh, tweens. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, Bridget and Peyton. Yeah, yeah. We played some barbecue, and it was Bridget's first show ever. Oh. I remember that. She was wow. That's, nervous. It was funny. That's awesome. Man. She's, yeah, definitely blossomed um, into, like, a really, really confident performer. That's awesome. Um, and so what, what what year was that? And um, What year did sort of uh, the open sex sort of, I don't know, run its course or, I don't you know, um, I think that they disbanded in 2013. Mm -hmm. um, I had left by 2012. Okay. I was in Bloomington, so I guess I was in that band between like 2010 and 2012. Mm -hmm. And and during that time, you were you were also recording under Circuit Day U. Um, I was, yeah. Yeah. So t tell me a little bit about um some of those some of those earlier records. Um, what was uh. How, how how have you seen sort of the evolution of, of Circuit Day U as, you know, a, a personal project um, from those days in, in Bloomington? I mean, 
it's all it's all still very exploratory. Tell me just trying stuff out, um, which is kind of scary. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a little awkward. It's definitely more song based now, or a little more honed in. There were kind of more sound collages back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really going through a lot. I mean, your early twenties and your late teens are really tough. Yeah. Navigate, and now I mean, this is like now it's kind of the first time in my life where I can feel like really push past something and like I don't know trying to add to society and feel confident and I feel like I know what I'm doing a bit more in terms of everything mm-hmm. um, but those years were just sort of arming myself with knowledge and uh, confidence and like you know for the rest of my life like knowing how to work in a studio by myself by me too knowing how to talk to talk so I can walk the walk, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I look back and it's a little rough for me to think about, but I can't help but think about everyone that helped me along the way. And yeah, I, I, now I feel like I'm totally ready to just blast off and I feel great. And um, we're open to collaborations and just confident and kind of this inner knowing that I've got come a long way and that the worst is over maybe <laughs> <laughs> well that, that that must be uh that must feel really great uh i mean that, that i definitely saw sort of that that confidence um you know when you played um when you played a couple nights ago you know i don't have I, that was the first time i'd seen you live so i didn't really have much to base it off of but um it was really amazing to me how how well those songs translated um to a, to a live setting. I mean, it's so, like a lot of them sounded like, I mean, you could have like, just like ripped them right off the album and, you know, with added, adding, you know, that, that dash of like unpredictability and, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, ability and, and, uh, willingness to jam a little bit. Um, yeah, the, 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 the song sounded amazing. And, um, yeah, it was a it was a great show. It did the album justice um, really well. I I started, you know, I um I became aware of you. I guess like really listening. You know, I, I'd seen your name around before that, but when Overdue came out, um, you know, I just being a huge fan of all things Bada Bing, um, and listening to that record, that first like that first song, um, you know, with like. Uh, the, I, I, is that a cello in there? Um, mm-hmm. Lithonia, yeah, the, the, like, kind of the frantically bowed cello. And I think the first thing that people, you know, uh, who, who I've talked to notice is, is your voice, you know. It's a really, really powerful, uh, I guess, bar- baritone um, voice that, that's extremely arresting. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about the evolution of, uh, of, of, of your singing, of, of your voice. Was there ever a point when you discovered you're like, whoa, I can, I can hit these really low notes and sustain it for a while, and it sounds like it sounds really good. Still living for the 
Tom Waits stuff is like just kind of a caricature of <laughs> you know like like yeah he uh he, he can get pretty he can get pretty rough um especially a lot of his later stuff like the Reaper Bond and stuff like that it's just like oh man <laughs> um, I mean yeah I'm just writing this out and trying I mean I am taking much better care of my voice than I did in college or something like that I'm hyper aware of my health but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's something you're kind of born with, you know? Yeah. It can't really help the way you talk. It can't really help the way you swing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because, yeah, a lot of people, uh, I, I feel like, try to push their voice, like, uh, a couple of octaves up. You know, like, I, you know, you, you're kind of hard-pressed to think, you know, in your mind, like, uh, or, like, the people who have, like, really low voices, you know, like, uh, stand out, you know, like people who can sing in a soprano or kind of up in a higher register, you know, pretty common. But it's like, if you can, if you can do like the crash test dummies voice, you know, like that's something <laughs> that's something that sticks in your mind. Do, do you remember? You remember that band, Crash Test Dummies? I don't. Oh, you don't know that band? Oh, I'll have to splice in one of their songs. There was 
Mrs. Keanu Got into an accident and caught and come to school But when he finally came back His hair had turned from black into bright white It was from when the cousin smashed so hard You you never heard that song? No, Holy no. shit, you'll have to I'll I'll spice after this, just look up the crash test dummies. Um the song, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I, I don't know. I don't know how many M's are in there. But the dude had this super, super low voice. Um, and it was like, it was a, I think it was like a radio hit because it was just like, whoa, like this is like, this is different. <laughs> you know, like, this sure. is, yeah, this isn't like, I, I don't know who it compared to. The only right. I'm I'm trying. I'm thinking back to like early '90s, like Alterna Rock. So oh, okay. the, the the only thing I'm coming up with is Dead Eye Dick. Don't eat me, but show like the bone. Do Do you know yeah. that? Do, do you know that's Do you know that man, Dead Eye Dick? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um. I don't. I don't know why. <laughs> I I I think it's they're the same time. I, I think I remember I was like the same age or like when those two songs came out and I was like I was a fiendish radio listener like when when I was young I would just like um I would just sit by the radio like especially during Casey Kasem's top 40 and like mm-hmm. Sundays I just like wouldn't leave my room I would just like sit and listen to listen to Casey Kasem's top 40 and that was like the early 90s so there was like really interesting stuff that was like number one I remember Enigma. Do you, do you remember that band? You remember that band Enigma, like that uh, French Canadian uh, new wa- new age band. Oh, oh man, they like uh, they had like a number one hit for like a week, um, and uh, and that was like that uh, like I love that was my first tape I ever bought. Um, but it has like the Indian, it has like the Native American singing, and it's like I, I, I'm not even gonna do that. But it's like uh, it has like a sa- not a sample. It's not a sample because like the guy was. It's too. It sounds too good to be a sample. The guy was probably in the studio, doing like this traditional Native American singing, um, over like this, like with this like, I think they're French or French Canadian New Age band. Um, oh man, they were so good. It was like on like every every like movie like trailer, uh, in like the early nineties. I remember it made into like a Tim Allen, Jonathan Taylor Thomas movie. You know, like is like the big like. Uh, climactic, you know, like. Oh, I do you know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, for the life of me, I'm trying to remember what movie that is. It's like Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Tim Allen, and they're yeah. like, they're like father and son. Exactly, they're estranged father and son, and like the moment when they get together, like it's you know when they start to 
learn to be father and son. Yeah, this yeah, it, it plays over. I loved that song. Like I was like I was super into that. Um and most of yeah, I think maybe because like it was really it was different and I was just like it was it was mysterious and um and then I got a hold of like uh like a VHS copy of like their music videos and there was like like subtle like soft core erotica and it was I was even more intrigued. <laughs> so yeah, Enigma Enigma has a uh, has a definite uh, big place in my musical trajectory. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, okay. So um, so overdue. Um, I it sounds like overdue was um, the album that had probably the most critical attention. Would would you say? Um. Sure. I don't. I don't know. I mean. Yeah. I yeah Ben helped me with that. I self released the vinyl and um, not necessarily like, the best at like PR or like distribution. So, um, but people really took to it. I was yeah. Yeah. It was nice. I appreciated that you ended your set with Nova eighty eight. That's a great. That's a great song. Oh, thanks. And you did a collaboration with Bill Orcutt. Mm hmm How tell me tell me how that happened? That's that's pretty amazing. I met Bill maybe in 2009 at this festival called Cropped Out Fest. Oh yeah, and Cropped Out. I've, yeah, I've actually never I've never great. been to Cropped Out. Um, I I just moved out here two years, and it's like a week before after Gold Rush, and so, but it, I definitely feel like they're like our sister festival. You know, trying to trying to do the same thing and have some of the same aims. So. Okay, just a little editorial note. When I say do the same thing, I don't mean like they're trying to copy us or we're trying to copy them or anything like that. I think it just means that we're both trying to have an accessible weirdo music festival that has the same aims. I think that's what I say there, not names. We have the same aims. I feel good about that. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, great so, festival. Yeah, tell, tell me um, about, yeah, so you met Bill at a Cropped Out? Yeah, we exchange records, and um, I'm a huge Harry Pussy fan, mm -hmm. and yeah, I don't know, we were just decided, I was like, do you ever need vocals? And he's like, yeah, I do, and he sent me some recordings, and so we didn't actually do the recordings together in the same room, it was like file sharing, <laughs> and it's about, I think it's five tracks in a total of I mean, five minutes, Okay. <laughs> so... They're really short, yeah. thirty second, one minute, thirty second tracks, um, and uh, yeah, it turned out well. I think we're going to be doing some live improvisational collaboration gigs. Very cool. In the near future, yeah. Very cool. And mm -hmm. and so um, now, are are you living in Chicago now? I am. And when did when did you move? Uh, when did you move to Chicago? August of 2012. Gotcha. And how has that how has that move to the to the big city been? I love Chicago. It was really tough though mm -hmm. um, when I first moved here. Just things are more expensive, mm -hmm. and um, I was right out of college, and I didn't I have like um I did have a gig for like a job, but it was only a couple gigs a week. So mm -hmm. staying afloat, you know, first like. Realizing how much I owed student loans for months, and there was a, yeah, it was um, it was tough. It was like a tough six months, and I thought I was gonna, I wasn't gonna make it. I was 
and the back of my parents, but found this closet that was like $200 a month. <laughs> so it helped me jump off. Um, and now I'm just doing music full time. That's great. I live, yeah, I live with a few other people on this beautiful piece of property. We have chickens in the backyard and That's fire cool. pit and a sauna. And That's great. And yeah, so to kind of go back a little bit, um, the recording of uh, Overdue. Um, yeah, now, you, did you did you record that in in your apartment, or, in, or was that in Cooper's? Or sorry. Um, so I was living in that closet for two hundred dollars. Yeah. And um, Dan Quinlivan, who's in Bitchin Bajas, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Mahjong, he was next door, and okay. um, he was by himself and. He was like, I got this extra room. Like, you guys can rent it for me if you want. And we rented it for two months. We built our own studio in it and uh, recorded overdue there. We bought a tape machine and we actually bought um, some preamps from Guitar Center, but they have like a like a thirty day return policy. So <laughs> nice, we, nice. Yeah, finished everything on day twenty nine and returned. <laughs> nice. And so that 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 album was with uh, was a lot of it was recorded with. Uh, Cooper Crane, am I, am I getting that name right? Yeah, Cooper who, Crane. Who's uh, who's also in Cave? Yep. Awesome. Yeah, they just played here in Cincinnati. They were fantastic. Yeah. And so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you uh, so you record that you recorded that together in in a rented uh, apartment from the dude from Bitch and Bajas. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, that, that's pretty cool. He wasn't even paying rent. We found out later. He just like pocketed the money. Which is, you know, <laughs> fine, I guess. But we're all still friends. So yeah. <laughs> um. So what what was that like working in in such close quarters? What do you think that that had a lot of uh, impact on the sound of of how that album came out? Oh, definitely. I mean, it is what it is. You know, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, me too. I, I mean. It's kind of like a scrapbook of an album, you know, things are kind of stitched together here and there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was intimate in that. I and mean, Cooper and I, Cooper's my best friend. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he feels about me, but I didn't I'll really him. know him that I'll well. I'll here and I'll ask him. And so, the recordings, and, yeah, there were times where we spent 12 hours trying to get a take, and he's like, all right, you got this one more time. <laughs> and... I do the take and I totally flopped and he was like, all right, I'm going home and <laughs> I drive him home. We didn't talk on the way home, you know? Uh, so yeah, I mean, anyway, it, it was just like a very intimate, a lot of emotions and Cooper was really hands-on with it, which I asked him to be mm-hmm. and like uh, a lot of the sonic quality is like all because of him. Yeah. It just took time. I felt like I have a bunch of money and I certainly didn't then. So, um, even less than I do now, so he was just doing it just for the love of the art, you know. That's great. And what's what's new? Um, how how did the recording process change um, on the on the latest record? Um, well, overdue was like done in two like two month period, like pretty much like a time capsule. Whereas new album, I was touring in support of overdue, and um, so I had to write and record like start and stop kind of. It was a whole year, but it was like I did two days in March, and then I did two days in July, and then I did like a few days in September. So it's really kind of spread out. Um, 
and it, a lot of it's done in the studio. I, I did all my vocals at home and mm-hmm. did a couple overdubs at Cooper's house, but like overdue studios no longer. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, we did a lot of it in the studio, which sounds good, but it's different, you know, different vibes. That's that, I think that's really cool that Overdue, you know, kind of going back to the whole idea of like albums being documents, you know, you'll never be able to recreate that, those sonic qualities, you know, those were completely unique um, to that studio that you all built, um, you know, and, and anybody could, you know, go go into a, a renowned, you know, studio and, and lay down some tracks and, you know, them sound good. I think I, I love that idea of... Um, not only crafting your sound, but like crafting the space, you know, as as sort of a uh, uh, an auxiliary instrument or, or something like that. Um, I yeah, I, re- I really respond to albums favorite. like that. That's yeah, good yeah. I was uh, one of my favorite albums of the past couple years is um this uh, this rec- this solo piano record by this guy named Simon James Phillips. Um, and, uh, I, I remember I wrote this review of it and I was like, oh, you know, he uses like a sustain pedal or something like that. Like, obviously, because like, there's no way that he can like get those, like, you know, it, it just sounds like otherworldly. Like he has to be using some sort of like sustain pedal or something. And he, he like emailed me, he's like, I don't use this sustain pedal. It's all just natural acoustics of like this cathedral that I played in and it's just, uh, yeah. So I, I, I really respond to albums um, that have, that are tied to a specific um, space and a very intentional space that um, that dictates a lot how the record sounds. Um, so that's really cool. And, and you know, the, uh, the new record is, is fantastic. Um, like I said, it, it seems like those songs um, are so easy, like, I think maybe you could tell you were you wrote it when you were touring because it sounds like you know you could easily just like um, play those songs live you know like in in like no matter what setting like a lot of those songs you know you could play like I think they would translate really really well solo but like with like a full rock band <laughs> you know I I also think that they would sound amazing so I yeah I think it's a I think it's yeah. A, I'm really? excited to go. I'm going on the road with a full band. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was kind of, I was hoping to. Um, that was going to be the case in Cincinnati, but Ryan Jewell is, uh, is amazing, and so yeah, you guys, yeah. you guys, did, yeah, for only like you know playing a handful of dates together, I think like really, really communicated very well. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Well, um, I think we, yeah, we kind of covered. Uh, yeah, you have a whole story. Your man. whole life. <laughs> That's cool. Well, um, yeah, thanks for sitting, sitting down and, and chatting with me. Um, I'll. Uh, Not a problem. Yeah, it was. It was nice. It was. It was. Uh, I think a good opportunity to sort of. I, I, for me, like it, it always, like enhances like the listening experience to know a little bit more like about the person and and, and you know maybe just being able to speculate, but sort of like 
you know, knowing a little bit, bit more about them and kind of where they were when they recorded um, their music and stuff like that, I think the two go hand in hand. I mean, your, de your art definitely stands uh, alone, but, you know, it's, it's nice to kind of get um, a little bit more, and hopefully people, uh, people enjoy getting to know a little bit more about you. Great. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for all the help in Cincinnati. Oh yeah. No worries. Um, yeah. Until, until next time, you know, we'll have to do it again when you come on tour this way. Great. Thanks. Cool. Good one. Yeah. You too. Bye. Bye.
Once there was this boy who got into an accident 